0: Hello, Rise Together listeners, Dave here. Welcome to this week's episode of the podcast. I've decided to throw a little curveball, change up in format, if you will, in that today, our guest, the answerer of questions, is me. I have the treat of a few times a month being invited into other people's podcasts where I am the guest answering their questions to try and afford some value to their audience. And I recently had a conversation with my friend Gemma Beresford. Gemma's got a podcast called Mindgasm, and man, she asked some really great questions. We had a good conversation. And when we were done, I asked if she'd consider letting me throw our conversation up in this feed so that it might bring a little light to you. So I hope you sit back, relax, and enjoy me Answering some questions as today's guest on this week's episode of Rise Together. What would the world look like if we all pushed ourselves to have candid conversations with people who didn't look like us, think like us, or live like us? I'm Dave Hollis, and I'm on a mission to learn more about this world by meeting more of the people who live here. You may not always agree with everything you hear but I guarantee you'll come away more informed on topics you might never have thought to seek out before. This isn't just a podcast, it's a community. And when we raise each other up, we all rise together.
1: Hello, Dave, and welcome to the Mindgasm podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today.
0: I am so excited to be here, Jim. Thank you so much for having me.
1: You are welcome. And today we're going to be talking about many topics, which I'm sure is going to inspire a lot of people. However, before we do go into that, I want to hear a little bit more about you and just to get your background, because I mean, you are a New York Times best-selling author. You're a life coach. You're a motivational speaker. You have done it all. However, your career also goes way back when into being the president of theatrical distribution at Disney. So how has this all come about? Like what changed? Like talk me through this.
0: Yeah. So I live now in Austin, Texas. I have for the last three years. I'm the dad of four amazing human beings. I work in a super unconventional bit of business now in that I do try to create tools that might afford people an opportunity to make their lives a little bit better, get unstuck, reach for the unlocking of their purpose and potential. But I had a pretty conventional road that led to this unconventional bit of work that I do in that for about 25 or so years worth of time, I worked in entertainment. I started out of college at 20th Century Fox, moved into talent management, had some time in grassroots marketing, but ultimately, to your point, had a 17-year career at the Walt Disney Company, where at the last seven of those years, I was the head of sales, the president of distribution, putting movies into movie theaters, and it was an extraordinary ride. Every single job that I had in entertainment was fantastic Uh, Until, frankly, it just wasn't as fantastic as I'd hoped it should have or or could have been. Uh, I found myself, at the end of my time at the Walt Disney Company, surrounded by arguably the greatest uh, collection of intellectual property, the best talent, the strongest leadership in selling Disney, Marvel, Pixar, and Lucas movies to movie theaters. You know, they needed those movies pretty badly. Once the learning curve of that last job was... Conquered, or at least was made a little bit easier, I didn't have to use every single one of the gifts that existed inside of me to convince theaters to take Star Wars and Avengers movies. And so, in the midst of a bit of a midlife moment where I was asking some bigger existential questions about why I was on this planet and why it didn't feel as exciting to do a job that looked pretty great from the outside, I made a pretty big life change, left the company, entrepreneurial journey here in Texas, moved our family. And ultimately started working into what you mentioned, writing books and coaching and uh, hosting my own podcast. And again, just trying to show up and serve an audience well and and talking about and normalizing the struggle that we all go through, maybe uh, affording in somewhat of an empathy bridge their ability to see some of themselves and some of my stories in a way that gives them some tools, tricks, hacks, tips to unlocking the best kind of life for themselves.
1: How did you find going from that transition like to go from, like you said, a very conventional world to something that is much more unconventional? That must have been a huge like, change to go through.
0: Super jarring. I mean, the reality is I have spent the better part of these last three years really thinking about it through the lens of this idea of leaving like, all of us in some respects Stick with what we know. Uh, sometimes it's comfort, security, it's playing it safe or small. A lot of times it can come with us choosing suffering that we're familiar with uh, because the fear of what leaving the known ends up presenting in the possibility of us failing or what it might mean to have our insecurities triggered or how unstable it might feel for us to take the leap and leave the dock. And so it was very, very jarring. It produced arguably three of the hardest years of my life. But wouldn't you know it, it's also produced three of arguably the best years of my life. And so uh, I'm in a, in a world where I am trying to give people these tools to reach for a better version of themselves. I'm hoping that some of the storytelling around leaving what I knew for what I needed trying every day to remind myself that I am a ship that is able to handle the choppy waters that lives beyond the jetty. Inside of that chop is where I ultimately will grow. It's something that, of course, has just taken a ton of work and a lot of habits and routines, a bunch of mindset work, the right community to offset and create create some equilibrium when it starts to feel unnerving and my insecurities or my fear, my imposter syndrome gets stoked, making sure that there's Something in place that will keep me tethered to uh, and and centered around the idea that I can handle whatever it ends up being. I got this tattoo on my arm. I mean, you can see it, but listeners can't. But it's uh, been kind of the mantra of my last three years. And it says a ship in harbor is safe, but that's not what ships were built for. And so this decision to leave the harbor three years ago, the decision in... Just this last year, as I'm transitioning out of a relationship, I got divorced this last year, I'm leaving a company that I helped build and having moved to Austin with my 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 ex-wife, I, I'm now venturing into a new uh, you know, place beyond a harbor. And the tattoo has been this great reminder in any season where I'm choosing uncertainty or uncertainty is choosing me that... Mm-hmm built for it in the same way that you, the listener, are also built for the choppy seas that exist beyond your own safe harbor. Uh, and I hope that I can encourage people to leave that that safety and, and security because that's where growth happens and in that growth where fulfillment can be found.
1: Absolutely. When did you get that tattoo? I'm curious.
0: I got it right around the time that I was making the decision to leave the company. In- interestingly, I, like I uh, had for so long had security or certainty as my primary driver in life. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is, this sounds like a very high class thing. And I mean, to not take for you know granted how the luxury of being able to sign a, uh, an employment contract, but uh, the catalyst for making this big change came just after I'd signed what was a four-year contract to continue doing the work that I was doing in part, because it felt like I was Adding ropes to the boat that was docked at the harbor and was in trading off the security of that contract for the possibility of growing, were I to leave that contract. Uh, it was that that actually was the catalyst for making the big radical change because I could see, oh man, I am now creating the certainty that I won't grow. And in that certainty, an inability for me to be as fulfilled, use the gifts of my creator, you know, whatever it might be that, you know, hopefully is going to be the legacy that I leave to my kids or the way that I look back on my life, you know, 40 years from now, when I'm, you know, near in the end.
1: Before you made this change, obviously, to where you are now, I mean, obviously you're on another change, but During your time at Disney, had you already been exploring this new and unconventional methods, or was it quite a shift towards the end of your time at Disney?
0: It was a big shift. I mean, what's interesting, I, during that last seven years, in addition to being the head of sales, was also the person who was managing our relationships with the press And so part of my job in managing the press was making sure that the storytelling around the performances of our films was such that they were writing good things, even about the films that didn't perform well. Mm. And so as someone who could curate or manage the optics of the way the business was performing, some of that was inevitably, like all of us, bleeding into... The highlight real version of what we might put up in social media or how we might try and convince the people in our lives that everything's fine. It's great. Trust me, I'm fantastic, even if you find yourself inside of a season of struggle. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the the book that I wrote, Get Out of Your Own Way, it was really just this attempt to be very honest about all the times when I got my own way. And that transparency and hopefully authentic gl- glimpse into the struggle that makes up my humanity was something that was relatable to the audience, but was also super triggering for me because, man, I just like I'd created as a part of my work and my life mm-hmm. that same thing that I think a lot of us do and trying to keep up with the comparison game that happens on social media and probably the shame that ends up coming and truly owning some of the struggle that we are going through. And so the idea to, yep, I'm going to, try and be this teacher, coach, speaker, writer, but I want to do it from the posture of honesty and and giving you a glimpse into what really happens inside of my life. It was a departure from everything I'd ever done, which of course was super, super triggering.
1: Completely. And I mean, it probably goes without saying, but you must have had a lot of doubts during that time whether it was the right decision to move forward with. Were you doing the right thing? Is it going to be any regrets? Like, how did you stop those doubts from holding you back?
0: Well, I had to try and isolate where the worry was coming from. So, I mean, the, the frame of the book has, has been a little bit of, like, the frame of these last three years, in that I was trying to take what... in personal development, we call limiting beliefs, but you know, well, let's just call them lies. The lies that I was believing that if I could make them unbelievable might afford me an ability to move forward without those things getting in my way. Mm-hmm. And so, so many of the fears or worries that I had about leaving were built around stories that I'd come to believe without having tested the hypothesis of my own truth. And so the worry that everyone was thinking about what I was doing Mm-hmm. which is not a true thing. Everyone is not actually thinking about what you're doing, but the way that our ego or the way that we have been trained to please or think about achievement as a vehicle for getting the kind of love that we'd hope for, it plays in the background of our psyche and plays in the way that we consciously or unconsciously do the things that we do in our life. And so part of it was taking something like, what will other people think? And really putting to the test if they were actually thinking about what I was doing and if those people that were thinking about what I was doing had shared values and appreciation of the context inside of which I was doing it or why I felt called into doing it. And once you can get to the bottom of that, you're free from the worry of what it might mean to do something and fail or do something and not get it right right away, right? I mean, so much of the worry that I think people have in convincing themselves to be okay with being okay or stay with the stuff that they know is the worry that if they were to try something new, that they might not get it right right away. Mm -hmm. And what they're not really worried about, at least from my experience, I wasn't really worried about failing. I was worried about what other people might say about me failing publicly. But if you can be free from this worry because of the reality that nobody's actually paying attention and those people that would make you feel badly aren't your people in the first place. It just affords you this ability to try new things. I mean, part of it too, for anyone who feels that tug of intuition or the calling inside of your faith to step into something new, that mandate to try it also comes with a guarantee of failure. And so if you in wanting to honor the intention of your creator, realize that part and parcel with honoring that intention is that you're going to make some mistakes, then it requires that you reframe what failure means in your journey. And so being able to take failure from this negative thing that was an indictment on me not being good or ready ready or worthy and turning it into something that I like now I, I truly fully believe that It's just information, right? Failure is just intel. It is letting me know how I can do something better. It's showing me an area where I can grow. It's maybe affording me an opportunity to connect with someone who has a better answer than the one that I attempted to put against the question that was being asked. And every time you make a mistake, every time you fail, you give yourself an ability to get better because of having tried something new and not doing it right. What a blessing, what a gift. If you can see it as that, now all of a sudden you might approach failure or the possibility of failing as the invitation to become this better, bigger version of yourself. Me leaving Disney in part was a byproduct of this recognition that I was not in a position to fail, Mm -hmm. right? And that's not so much even a suggestion of how good I was, more it's a reflection of how good the conditions that I found myself in were. right to, to work with these amazing brands and amazing storytellers and this great leadership and this amazing team with product that these people I was selling things to absolutely needed, I wasn't in a place where on a large scale I could fail. And so in the absence of failure, I was guaranteeing that I wouldn't be able to grow. And if you as a listener find yourself in a position right now where you can't fail then you are also guaranteeing that you are not going to grow. And in the absence of growth, you won't feel connected to purpose on as deep a level. You won't feel connected as connected to fulfillment on a deep level. And those are the things that we want in life. And and so you have to find a way to reframe failure, to give yourself the permission to fail. Not that you're going to like doing it, but that you find a way to do it so that you can grow and learn from it.
1: You mentioned that you struggle a little bit with the the fear of what other people would think about you failing. Would you, if you were to advise someone to develop the confidence to kind of block those people out, what would you say? Because that's not even a personal trait; that's very much how other people are thinking.
0: Yeah, I mean, the way that I try to break it down in this next book that I'm writing, I I, I talk about the idea of eighty-five, ten, five. In that. If you were to make a list of every single person that you are worried about thinking about you, generally, 85% of the people that you are worried about are not actually thinking about you. I mean, like it is just human nature. You as a listener, whether you want to confess to this, ego drives each of us to think first and foremost about ourselves. Hmm. And so when other people are doing things or other people are failing or other people it's not even wired into us as individuals to pay that much attention or necessarily judge them for having done something. But if they were to judge they are judging often out of their own insecurity, out of the possibility of having been triggered by some jealousy of your willingness to try something that they won't, that you're doing this thing that deviates from some social contract doesn't you know, look highly on them having decided to stay caged inside of that social contract, right? So if they are thinking about you, they may be thinking about the wrong reasons. The next 10% of people, are people that you truly love or crave love from, right? These are the important people in your life. But I argue those people that you love or crave love from that are thinking about you often don't actually understand your motivation. They don't share the values that you have. They don't have the same intention for where they are heading. And so their love or their worry or their concern is often a reflection of their fear Wrapped in love, right? They will tell you, like, oh, I'm, I'm worried about this thing for you, or I, I think you should reconsider this thing. And it's often not a reflection of your feeling called into it, but their worry of what your calling may do to create discomfort for you, or frankly, discomfort for them, right? Because a lot of times, stepping into something that is a deviation from who you've been it's going to be disruptive to you, but it's also going to change the dynamic of the relationship with someone that you've traditionally been someone else for. And so it could be a partner, it could be a parent, it could be a kid, you deciding to listen to your intuition or honor the intention of your creator may disrupt that. And so their reasoning for having a judgment on why you're doing what you're doing is compromised by their bias. The last 5% of people are people who legitimately have care for the things that you're thinking about and doing, they understand and have shared values, and they are interested more than anything in playing the role of accountability partner, of trying their best to help you, devil's advocate, play both sides, not in a way that would have you doubting that you are on the right track, but maybe have you conscientious of the preparedness that might be necessary, or the way that you might need to think through the trade-offs in moving forward with this decision. And those are the people that you should pay attention to. Now, if of all the people that we are worried about, you could get rid of 95% of that worry and only pay attention to the five, those five are the people you want closest in your circle to be in regular conversation with, to try and tease out which of the things you feel like are the right thing to go do actually are and which things aren't. At the end of the day, though, none of them, whether the 85, 10, or 5, will have to live with the regret of not pursuing your dreams. None of them will die with you know, your dreams in their head. You will. And so at a certain point, you have to just become comfortable making other people uncomfortable. And, you know, not giving the weight of what they might think to you fully standing in the truth of who you were created to be and and the light that you were put on this planet to afford other people.
1: Absolutely. Do you, um, I really like that 85, 10, 5. That's a really nice way to position it because it does break it down in a really good way. Do you find that social media can also blur these lines a little bit? Because On social media, everyone's comparing each other. I say everyone, but majority of people are comparing each other with somebody else. However, the life they're comparing themselves with probably isn't even a real life. So it can kind of make it quite quite difficult to really recognize what's real, what isn't, and what's actually a realistic thing to compare yourself with.
0: Yeah. I mean, the, the reality is there is so much noise in our world. So much noise. There's the noise, to your point, of social media and that hourly we are being triggered by people who have represented the highlight reel of their life and us knowing the truth of our own existence questioning if the way that we struggle or the hard day that we're having is normal or makes us abnormal for the way that every person that we're following and everyone that we're friends with represents how good things are so the curated the 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 lens through which people are sharing their existence is a, like, you have to take it with such a grain of salt. It's not actually real. Uh, But there's also, like, the incessant marketing that comes from every company on the planet trying to convince you that you do not yet have enough of a certain thing, or the news business whose business model depends on keeping you just frightened enough to have you tune back into it, right? All of these things just play as noise in our life that if we listen to it compromises our ability to get to the bottom of the truth of what actually matters and how like just dimming that sound we're able to stay focused on how we become this better version of ourselves. if we allow ourselves to be consumed by the comparison game of social media or distracted by messages of every company on the planet or frightened by news or whatever else it might be we'll we'll stay paralyzed. We will choose to stay in that safe harbor because of it feeling overwhelming to have to work against those currents and push out into something that's new. For me, I mean, I've had to really fight to create quiet in something I call the patio of peace out back, right? Just like finding a way at the end of my day for 30 minutes of time where every single thing slows down. The kids are in bed, I'm sitting in what ends up being nature in my backyard, sometimes with music, sometimes in silence, but with distractions of technology, without the distractions of frankly anything to be at peace and give time for my thoughts, that's where there's in those clarity moments an opportunity to really intentionally figure out what matters, what doesn't, what's true, what isn't, and how do you take what is and what is and apply it to how you want to try and show up in the next 24 hours, the next six months, the next year, whatever it might be.
1: You kind of see that as almost a version of meditation, but in a kind of more fun patio of peace, right way of referring
0: to it? Absolutely. I mean, the thing is uh, there's a variety of ways as I've attempted to answer a question around what I need in this season for my health, Hmm. that silence, that meditation, that prayer, that the, therapy and church kind of moment that comes in a long run all come together to afford me this chance to really spend time with and get to know what I'm thinking and feeling. Mm -hmm. What I need most in my life, especially when things feel turbulent and overwhelming, is to understand why I'm thinking what I'm thinking and why I'm feeling what I'm feeling. And man, there was a previous version of me that would have tried to suppress or push away the feelings. Sometimes I would add Shame for feeling the things I was feeling on top of the shame I was already feeling, like we can feel like we 're not doing it right or that we 're not as strong as when we start feeling the very natural human feelings that come in global pandemic that that come in the world feeling somewhat chaotic and if you can make peace and just allow for time to create a relationship with these feelings and actually ask them, what, what role do you think that you're playing here and what are you trying to guide me toward? And is there a way that I could, you know, instead of demonizing these feelings existing and making myself feel badly for even having the feelings in the first place, honor the fact that they're here, make space for them to exist And in that relationship, have them potentially create a trail of breadcrumbs that if I were to follow it might give me some additional peace or help me make a better plan or help, uh, you know, unpack a a set of goals or a kind of habits or morning routine that I have to try and implement to be able to address the things that I'm feeling. And the answer every single time has come back to, yeah, if you can create space to understand why these feelings are here they will help guide you to the things that you need to create what it is that you're looking for.
1: But then is there a risk of procrastinating that you spend so much time trying to understand yourself, understand your feelings and your goals that maybe you want to achieve, but then you don't do anything and you get stuck at being able to move forward?
0: Well, I mean, part of it is you have to have, you have to be able to cast a vision of where you're heading to be able to get there. I mean, if you don't know where you're going, there's zero chance that you're going to get there. But for me, I had to try and create something that would allow me to cast the right kind of vision, one that was filled with imagination and hopefulness, one that was connected to purpose, impact, and calling. And I was unable to do it when the world seemed like it was moving so fast, the noise was as loud as it was, chaos abounded. And so like fighting to create as a part of my routine, space for thought, space for journaling or prayer or running so that I could think while I was moving. All of those things have enabled this possibility to have the imagination for where I wanted to go. Now, once you have the imagination, then you can back into, well, what's it going to take to make what I've dreamed up an actual reality? Right. Mm -hmm. For me, it ended up being this set of questions that I would very simply call if then, like if I want this thing in my life to happen, then I got to do these things. And that that to me is where you're taking the vision or the time that you have in peace or in meditation or in prayer and put it into practice, creating that intentional time to see what it is that you want to try and focus on is the first step. But then actually, all right, Well, if I want these things to happen, then what do I have to do? That's how intentional short-term goal setting happens. That's how a morning routine forms. That's how the habits that I need to commit to, to actually allow the chance for this vision to come together are formed. You know, you start asking what would have to be true in order for this broader vision to become true. And that to me is, again, where now you've got a chance because you know where you're going and you understand what it's going to take to get there, now you're setting those daily goals to every single day get you one step closer to who you'd hope to become.
1: Yeah, that definitely makes sense. I guess that kind of feeds into mindfulness and gratitude and that being more aware of where you're putting your intentions which some people can kind of disbelieve a little bit and feel like it is a bit of fluff. But I feel like from what you're saying, it is very much based on having that mindset that you are aware of what you're wanting and the present moment, but also what you want in the future.
0: Yeah, there's a great quote that I use all the time uh, by a guy named Les Brown, which is, hope in the future is power in the present. Hope in the future is power in the present. So, the idea of being able to cast a hopeful vision of where you're heading is part of what catalyzes the strength that you'll need in real time to be motivated, to show up for your life, to do the kind of work that's necessary every day to get a little bit closer. And that hopeful vision of the future is something that if you commit to and get detailed with, you will find evidence of that future presenting itself along the way, because you'll be on the lookout for it, right? You're just like, whether it's conscious or unconscious, you're looking for signs to confirm your hypothesis that this hopeful vision of your future is a thing that can actually come to pass. But the opposite of that is true too. If you are a person who gets stuck believing that you're just the kind of person that has this bad luck, or it's just not destined for you, or it's not a thing that usually happens for you, you'll also find that kind of evidence presenting itself too. Now, it takes work. It doesn't mean that just because you might start to see some signs that a hopeful, brighter vision of your future is possible, that now you get to sit back on cruise control and just let it unfold, right? You got to do the work. But the reason why for me, a gratitude practice is such an important part of every day and something I start each day with, the very first thing I do every single day, is that it is a prompt to go into the day looking for things to be grateful for, right? If I have to start my day remembering what of the things that happened in the previous 24 hours I have to be grateful for, I know going into my day, I gotta be on lookout all day long for things to be grateful for so that the next morning I can write them down when I start my day. And if you go into your day looking for things to be grateful for, you'll find evidence of it. In the same way that if you go into the day looking for reasons why you should be anxious or afraid or find scarcity or less, you'll find evidence of that as well. I'm not trying to be woo-woo with the idea of manifesting, but I do think that there is something to you see what you are looking for. You find what you're looking for. And so it's such an important thing to me to decide, hey, I'm going to go out and have a good day, and you will find evidence of that good day. I'm going to go out and find what I can be grateful for. You'll find those, you know, they're going to be small things, But when you see those small things, they're a confirmation of a hypothesis that you will find things to be grateful for in the day that sits in front of you.
1: That's great that you have that routine to be doing that every single day. You're like, okay, this is going to be a good day. We're already starting it off with the right tracks. What else do you do in like your normal day-to-day routine? I'm curious now. So you do your, your mindset and making sure that you're obviously aware of things that you're grateful for. But is there certain things you also feed into your daily routine?
0: Yeah. I mean, my, my morning routine starts the night before. I have to go to bed at the same time each night so I can get enough sleep so I can actually have a productive day. So I've got four kids. They've all got bedtimes. I'm the fifth kid. I got a bedtime too. So getting a good night's sleep is a super important thing for me because I know when I don't get enough sleep, I don't get to have the kind of day that I would have otherwise hoped for. Get up at the same time every day. I do not hit snooze any day. I walk immediately from- You do not
1: snooze. You don't snooze.
0: Here's the thing. Here's the thing. And if you are a snoozer, then this is going to hurt your feelings. But starting your day by hitting snooze is negotiating with yourself- any promise that you made to yourself, right? You made a promise that you're going to get up at this time. You hit snooze and you've immediately, before you've done anything in the day, trained yourself that when you make a commitment to yourself, you can negotiate to alter the terms that you have agreed to. Now, maybe it's just that you say, well, I always just snooze two or three times, but the practice of immediately getting up when you say you're going to get up That's a thing that is training yourself from the first, from the word go that, Hey, when I make a promise to myself, I'm going to keep it. And it helps you keep more promises as you, as the day goes on. I walk straight to my bedroom, into my closet. I put on my workout clothes immediately so that I don't have the option of negotiating myself out of wanting to work out. I don't want to work out all the time, but I got to get up and move my body. I go in and start the coffee. Coffee takes eight minutes to brew. During those eight minutes, I do my gratitude practice. That's where I have my time to reflect on the day before. I'll take my coffee. I sit out on my back patio. It's still dark usually because the kids are not up. And I will sit in conversation with God, with some music, in silence, watching the sun come up, just to clear the space to get back to neutral so that Whatever the day will bring, I am not necessarily carrying anything that came from the previous day as I am trying to intentionally engineer the best possible day ahead. I uh, finish that, have some green juice, a little bit of pre-workout. And then I go, uh, oh, no, before that, sorry, I get my energy stuff in. I sit before I go to work out and actually open my calendar for the first time. So what is on my schedule for the day? And I start to try and think about how to intentionally create some goals and prioritization around what it is that I'm going to do for the rest of the day. I do that right before I work out because I found when I go and run for 45 minutes or an hour, the pre-conversation around intentionally setting what I'd like to accomplish in the day is something I can process while I am in the gym or on the road. I get done. I get the kids up, have three boring eggs, and I start my day. And I tend to take what is most important in my day. I do that the first thing in my day. I have a flexible calendar. So, you know, whatever the highest priority is, I do that first. It's where I'm optimally, you know, productive. Mm. As uh, my priority list goes down, that comes towards the end of the day in case I run into something in life coming up kids needing something, motivational challenges, whatever it might be.
1: What a great way to start the day. Has that taken a lot of time or is this a process that you've always done for many years? Or is this quite a, a new thing?
0: Total process. And the thing is, like I've always had some kind of routine, but this is something that I think you hone in on and tweak over time, sometimes, you know, life is ends up being somewhat seasonal. And mm-hmm. so having the ability or willingness to be flexible in how you create a routine that meets you where your life affords is important because if you cannot do this routine consistently, it's not a routine. And your chaos, you know, like school comes back in or school gets out, maybe daylight savings happening or not. It could be that you've got a project due at work. Or for me, like I get on a deadline and having to turn in a book. There are some things that probably will change the availability that I have to do every single thing or change what I need. So again, I come back to what I I mentioned very briefly earlier. I, I tend to ask a question what do I need in this season? I do it usually every six or so months and I do it against the five dimensions of health. So what do I need in the season for my physical health, my mental health, my emotional health, relational health and spiritual health? Mm -hmm. And for each of those things, I try to come up with three or so things that I can commit to over the course of that next six months. And the question is being asked against the frame of, to get to where I'd like to be six months from now, what do I need in the season? So I have a vision for who I'd like to become and how I'd like to feel when I'm by myself and how I'd like to look at myself in the mirror and hold myself because of knowing that I've continued to grow or shown up well for others or been the kind of dad that they deserve, whatever it might be. But knowing, Hey, I'm going into a season where I've got this book due or I'm training right now for an Ironman. Okay, I'm training for an Ironman. What is that going to have as an implication for what else I might need around getting mentally tough or what I'm going to need to fuel my body with or how I'm going to need to commit to some things relationally in community to support this ambition to do this thing that's, yeah, I don't want to drown. So how do I surround myself with people that might be able to encourage me or teach me how to swim? But asking yourself as a listener, like what are the things that I need in the season to get a step closer each day to who I'd hope to become six months from now has informed how I tweak that routine over time.
1: There's always a lot of talk around having that balance between your health, your love, relationships, work, career. And I suppose the way that you approach it is more you're having that balance, but you're working on a six month time frame like seasonality. And actually you're mindful of having a balance, but also you have a priority within that. So you'll take a bit of slack on the other areas. Is that right?
0: Yeah. I mean, yes. And there's uh, there's this quote from Nora Roberts that I just keep reminding myself of. She was asked about how you approach balancing work and kids. And she said simply something to the effect of the, the key is to understanding that of the balls that we're juggling, some are made of glass and some are made of plastic. The implication, of course, that you are going to drop balls, but if you can make sure that you keep the glass balls in the air, because if you drop the glass ball, there's going to be some serious damage done. If you drop a plastic ball, it's going to bounce back up. You can pick it up when you get a chance to. Prioritizing which of the things of your priorities, I mean, there's only one priority, so it's hard to even say that you have multiple priorities, but of the things that are important in your life, of the balls that you're juggling, creating somewhat of a force rank so that you know, oh man, no matter what, this is a thing that I have to stay connected to and can't allow the agenda of somebody else, the, you know, whatever it might be, come and compromise my ability to keep this as a focus in my life. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is going all over the place, but I've tried to stay really connected in addition to the, what I need in this season to just the idea of stating what your core values are, right? Because if I can make a list of core values and go back and refer to them on a regular basis in a way that makes sure that the daily actions of my life are a reflection of the things I suggested that I have value for, Mm
1: -hmm. then I've
0: created a a feeling of integrity that makes me feel great about myself because of it being connected actions to values. And so if you know what you stand for, then hopefully it helps you in that attempt. I hate the idea of balance because I don't think it's real. Life just doesn't show up that way. I'd I like to approach it more with this idea of centeredness, right? Like I'm trying to create an ability to maintain equilibrium when the swells get big, you mm-hmm. know, and I think that there's a way to do that if you are connected always for and first to your values and that separately you're asking on some kind of frequency that always is considering a weather check on how big the waves are, what you need in the season. And then, you know, yeah, you're going to try and do a little bit of that force rank. What is actually most important and what maybe isn't as important in this in this little window of time?
1: So you're almost working backwards, like you have your values and then you kind of have, look at what's feeding back into them. And then there's that ongoing flow in between the two.
0: That's right. That's
1: right. Mm. I, I like I that. It's a nice way to um, help see a bit more clarity with the with this whole theory of balance, which I think can cause a lot of stress to so many people because everyone's always like, you've got to have balance, you've got to have balance. But life does not always allow for balance. And so it can certainly throw people off their, off their tracks a little bit.
0: Yeah. I will say this too about balance. What's interesting is a lot of times people's feelings about balance are a reflection it's triggered in some way because of comparison, right? Like your definition of balance for you May be different than my definition of balance for me. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean that my definition is bad or your definition is bad. But the times when we as people tend to feel badly about the way that we are balancing is when what we believe to be the thing that will work best for ourselves or our families is disconnected from or maybe judged by people who've approached balance in a different way. And so, It becomes a very individual conversation of what works inside of your house. Because if you're someone whose cup is full, like you show up as the best parent, as the best partner, you feel the best about yourself when you're by yourself, when you are just fully immersed in and love to work. Then denying that part of yourself at the expense of being a great partner, a great mama or dad, a a person who would feel as good about themselves when they're by themselves to appease or please other people or to create parity in how they, the collective they have defined what it means to be balanced is crazy. And so part of it is just becoming free and feeling comfortable defining what balance looks like in your life or throwing balance out the window. And like Mm -hmm. truly, like the idea that you ever can perfectly keep balance to me is just like it, it is it's a it's a pursuit that will leave you mad. And so instead of trying to create something that feels almost impossible, is there a way for you to approach it with this idea of centeredness where irrespective of the conditions that might come that day, the the way that the waves get higher or lower, that you've created some things foundationally that allow you to weather whatever that storm may be, if it's a day-long storm or a, a month-long storm.
1: Mm, absolutely. This is probably something you've maybe thought about or not. But if you were to, say, invest in your future best self, where would you put your time and energy? I suppose being a father, you probably consider this a little bit when you are going like up like bring up your children. But is there a particular time where you'd maybe look back and be like, do you know what I would say if you're going to invest your time here, it should be in X place?
0: Well, I mean, the thing I've been spending a lot of time with in this last year, it's a it's a bigger question because I've really tried to come at understanding why i'm here that's a big existentially kind of thing but like what is my purpose on this planet and the way that i've tried to come at it is by asking this question of i believe that i and you and every listener was created with intentional design i think that there were very specific traits that were put exclusively inside of you very specific experiences that only you have ever gone through that that combination of traits, of characteristics, of uh, skills, and experiences has produced in you something that has intentional design. So what is the intention of my creator has become this big question that I'm trying to answer. And how I honor that intention is what is hopefully going to be pulled out of how I show up every single day and the way that I bring the gifts that were given to me into the world and how in the tools that I'm creating, I'm affording the kind of impact that was intended in my creation. Mm-hmm. So the way that I've approached it is I end up starting with uh, what do I stand for? So I start with those core values. I have six core values. Then I ask the question, what is my personal brand for lack of a better word. Like if someone were to describe who I am and how I show up in the world, what would they say about me? And the only way that they'd say the things about me that I would hope is if my actions are so consistent that they are left with nothing else to say, but that reflection of the way that I am consistently showing up. Mm. Then I can ask, all right, well, what tools can I bring to bear? And so like the things that I would focus on long way of answering your question is, all right, if I believe I have a handle or I'm getting closer every day to the handle on the question, what is the intention of my creator and how do I honor that intention? I can look at the values that I have, which are a reflection of honoring that intention The kind of brand brand feels a little bit strange in in this context, but the kind of reputation experience that I am creating and how people see me and how in interacting with me, they get a handle on or a sense of what that intention is. Mm -hmm. And I would then focus on, okay, so where can I best tease out those things that would allow me to fully actualize the purpose of why I'm here? And not focus on, frankly, anything else. And so the spaces for me that I'm spending the most time in in the shorter term in developing tools to help people is inside of writing and inside of podcasting and inside of coaching, and anything that I can do to make me more effective as a communicator, to create better networks so that I can reach more people, to listen more to the needs of the audience that I'm trying to serve so that I can actually put tools in their hands that meet them where they have needs, well, that's, you know, hopefully going to produce better tools that are more relevant, more applicable, that are, you know, again, be that intersection between why I'm here, and how I honor the intention of that design.
1: It's oh, what, what, an existential kind of question. If that there that ever question. was one, I
0: mean, jeez, <laughs> <laughs> I'm deep in it right now.
1: So deep. Where's the top of this? We're swimming. <laughs> Obviously, that is your answer to that question that has come through many life lessons and becoming very self-aware. But say your children were there to ask you a similar sort of thing. And they're like, Hey, I don't know what to do in life. I don't know where to go. I feel really lost. Would you give a similar sort of answer? And you would bring it back to be like, Hey, what is, cause I feel like saying something like that to someone younger would probably be like, I don't know what yeah. my purpose is.
0: Here, well, here's what I would say to somebody that's younger. I would say, you need to be curious, like just be curious in as many places as you possibly can be, because your curiosity will lead to something that you have passion for. And your passion, once it's been taken care of, can lead to something that affords you purpose. And and purpose, to me, really ends up being something that ties your passion to allowing that personal passion to have impact on other people. And so With my kids, as a for example, if they bring home a report card and it has one A, two Bs and three Cs, I'm like, let's focus on that A because clearly you have some competency in that space. I mean, yeah, like, do I want them to get good grades in all courses? Of course, but I'm not interested in spending as much time trying to get them to be better in something that they don't have personal passion or natural skill in. I want to pour gas on a fire for a thing that they love. I have four kids and they are all radically different human beings. My oldest son loves musical theater. He's super into science. My next son ends up being the sports kid who's crazy about baseball. My third son is an outdoorsman who's into scouting and adventures and my daughter's into dance. Okay. Amazing. I am not right. A one size fits all parent when it comes to activities. I'm not even a one size fits all kind of dad, and that each of them needs something different from me because of their individual wiring. Like if I can understand their love language and a little bit of how they need to give and receive love, man, I want to try and show up and love them in a the way that they can actually understand that they're getting love. But more than anything, when it comes to like, how do you tease out the things that they're awesome at? When you've got the curiosities that you've been playing across the spectrum with and some things start to be the things that you keep coming back to... Those are the things to pour into. So, uh, you know, my kid uh, needs a, a ride five nights a week to go to theater practice. Fantastic. I will make sure that we get you there because that's something that he has deep personal passion for. And I want to keep pouring into that. Sawyer, my, my middle son, wants to get a baseball tutor. You know, he wants to be on a traveling baseball team. I was the coach of the, of the team this last year. Absolutely, we're going to pour into that because that's the thing he has passion for. You know, camping out and having dune buggies is the thing that Ford wants. Let's go, right? (laughs) So for each of them, I just again like, and that's the thing I would say for younger people, but even for the grown humans that are listening to this, who did you want to be before you became who you are? What did you want to do? What did you love before you found yourself inside of the space that you are in now? Before you were their mom or. You know, his wife or whatever it might be. What did you want? How did you how did how did your passions come to life? And it's only because here at 46 years old, I myself am having to go and ask, what did the 19-year-old version of me dream about? Right? Because I got lost a little bit in who I was for other people in a way that had me unable to answer a simple question of what I like to do in my spare time. Like I don't know what I like to do in my spare time. I like to do what these kids or this partner or this business or the societal norms dictate. And sometimes we lose ourselves in that kind of stuff. And so asking, man, who did I want to be? I I wanted to be a news broadcaster. I dreamt of being like Dan Rather, Tom Brokaw. And I realized in having made some of the shifts that I've made in doing the kind of work that I do – As much as I'm not reporting on the news, and thank God for that, I am a reporter, right? I'm a reporter who has a podcast and books and coaching, and in reporting the things that I've learned, I'm back and more connected to this version of what my 19-year-old self was dreaming, which is where my passion is super stoked and alive, and I'm closer to... What my intuition, what my creator, what my gut would have told me to always stay close and connected to, which is like this as the thing that I'm on this planet for.
1: It's crazy, isn't it? How you can, when you're younger, you do have these dreams and aspirations that you want to achieve and then the influence from other people can put a lid on them. And then you leave them behind and you go and fit into this societal norm that it's what you should be doing. And it's quite easy to forget that there is other options, but I think it's it's easy to miss that boat and you just get caught up. And before you know it, you're five, 10 years down the line and you've followed a different path that you probably may not have done if you had managed to follow those passions and perhaps small ideas you maybe had in the beginning.
0: That, absolutely. Like why we believe we're supposed to do certain things is a critical question to ask. Why, like, Where did your beliefs come from or why have you grown up believing that good girls do this or real men do that? Like we're all programmed from a very, very young age to believe that there are certain ways to do it and get it right. And certain ways that if you do it, you'll be exposed or made to feel insecure whatever it might be. But we only have to feel those things if we choose to. And I know that sounds easier. It's like way easier said than done. But questioning why we believe the things that were given to us or put on us or programmed in us by our family of origin or our religion or societal norms or the worry of what other people are thinking, if we can get to the root of whether those sources, those stories have credibility and application in our life, then. We have the choice to be free from those things or stay, you know, trapped inside of them. When I talk about leaving a harbor, sometimes it's the choice to leave a harbor of these beliefs that have been programmed in us that are no longer relevant or applicable for the life we say we want to
1: live. Mm, Absolutely. If you were to look at yourself and you're like, I want to be the best version of myself, how would you go about doing that? If you were to be like, I wanna, I wanna be a better person. Like, perhaps you maybe are not happy with the way you do things. Like, is there steps that you would follow to become a better person?
0: Well, I reverse engineered this question about a year ago. I wanted to find out when I felt like I wasn't a better person, and if there were any consistent things that came up when I didn't feel like I was showing up as well for myself or felt less confidence, less motivation, more shame, more whatever it might be. And what was interesting is I found in looking backwards five years that there was this single thing that every single time was present when I felt low or stuck or unhappy. And that was there was dissonance between who I was suggesting I wanted to be or how I was portraying myself on social media or to my friends and family And who I knew myself to be in the privacy of my own head or how I knew I showed up relative to how I said I should have showed up or how I know I could have shown up if I would have actually lived into honoring the intention of of my creator. And so when you are able to create integrity between how you know you'd have to show up today, the only day that you can control to get to the kind of life that you suggest you want. You feel fantastic about yourself because you know, man, I did all the things that I, you know, like know that I have the the ability to do. I put myself in a position to fail and learned and I grew and I showed up well for that I love and I went through the routines and and habits that are good and didn't lean on coping mechanisms, all, all the things. But when you create that dissonance or incongruence between who you know you ought to be to become the person you'd like to be, that's where shame and unfulfilled feelings and just disgust, like feeling like, man, I could have been more lack of motivation, no confidence, all those things live inside of that space. And so being able to have that clear vision of where you want to go is what it starts with. And then understanding what you'd have to do on this, the only day that you can control to get there when you can create that integrity between what you know you would need to do and how you actually ended up doing it those that's the way that you end up feeling the best that's the way to stay motivated i mean i have a weird motivation hack that is more about negative visualization than it is about positive visualization like i can i can cast the vision of where i'd like to go and the kind of life i'd like to have but i can also stay connected to what the cost of not actually getting there might feel like for the regret that I might experience. And and I've like bizarrely cast this vision of what a birthday dinner 20 years in the future ends up looking like. And yet there's the version where people are just overflowing with their compliments and their toasting of how rad I've been and showing up for their life and how much they respect the way that I've shown up for myself And then there's the opposite version where the room is empty and no one, you know, like even some of my adult children aren't showing up. And that is just a heartbreaking, holy cow, how could I have let that happen to my future version of self that does get my running shoes on in the morning, that does have me practicing the things that I'm preaching because I, man, I don't want to have that version show up. And creating integrity every single day between who you know you'd have to be to have the version of your future self show up, that's the way that you actually end up getting there.
1: I suppose that also feeds into becoming a better person for the people around you as well, because you're as well as thinking about your end goal and how you see yourself, how you maybe don't want to see yourself, it's also the thoughts that those people around you are having. So naturally you maybe would work backwards and be like, hey, I don't want them to have these thoughts. I'm going to be the opposite to develop those better relationships.
0: Yeah. And by the way, this is less about, you know, appeasing the opinions of other people and more honoring what you'd hope to have them receive in relationship Mm. with you. You know, the motivation shouldn't be the worry of what people are going to think or, you know, it's truly like, how are you going to feel knowing That this person that you love was able to receive the very richest and best version of your love. Like, how is it going to make you feel for my children, right? To have, as a father, someone who's modeling the kind of things I'd hope that they might embody when they become grown adults themselves, Yeah. I mean, being considerate of the impact of our decisions on the ways ways that we connect, model, encourage, advocate for the people that we love in our lives, it's a huge part of it as well.
1: With um, building healthier relationships with, say, a loved one or with a family member... Is this something that are you do you always have very honest ongoing conversations with them or do you have special like tips that you would um, use and apply to help have that transparency and work through that to develop the better relationships?
0: I'm working on it. I'll tell you what, like I, I've, I've come to really, really appreciate that. The only way that you can have deep, intimate relationships is with deep, regular honesty. Like you, if you're not gonna, if you're not gonna be honest, then you're not gonna get that kind of intimacy that you're hoping for. And it's hard because as people generally, I think we're people pleasers, worried about feelings, not sure how someone might receive something, don't even know sometimes how to bring certain things up. But if you're presenting a version, a false version of yourself by not fully expressing who you are and how you feel then you are not truly connecting with other people. So I think finding ways, and I, like I said, I'm a work in progress on this, finding ways to be as honest, radically candid, respectfully candid, uh, you know, I like guess is such an important thing. Also, uh, you know, like maybe as important is boundaries in that I've definitely made some mistakes in not creating lines over which certain things can't be crossed by people inside of my life. And boundaries are an important part of self-care. They're an important part of sanity. And so being able to understand what you can have as a part of your life and what frankly crosses lines and compromises your ability to stay focused on what is good or starts to influence your mindset in a negative way ends up being really important too. The, The inability to create boundaries with some people Compromises the quality of relationships with all people. So uh, we have to think about think about <laughs> honoring truth telling, but then also creating boundaries with those that would compromise our ability for rich relationship. But
1: then, when you talk about boundaries, do you mean from every aspect, like whether it's to do with the day to day, but also on a conversational level, or in terms of actions? Like, in what way do you mean boundaries? I
0: mean, if someone, especially in this most recent year's worth of time, like Anyone whose interests were coming at the expense of or or trying to compromise my personal values or my interest in peace, my, you know, it's someone, someone's drama, someone's motivation for giving me their perspective on how they would handle some of the stresses inside of my life if they approached it in a way that actually added more stress to my life during what was already a stressful season, Mm -hmm. then a boundary was necessary so that I could allow myself the time to process and, and in some instances grieve or some process, in some instances plan. There are certain people in your life and you know them. If you're trying to cast a super positive vision of your future, they're not invited to that dreaming session because they may in fact be a grass is always browner kind of person who just is a little more negative about what the future looks like, right? The yep. market goes down a couple of days in a row and they're certain that another recession is coming or whatever it might be, right? Yep. You you have to protect your, your, your mind from someone who might indoctrinate you with their anxiety, their worry, their worldview if it's disconnected from your values. So I think it could be, Conversationally, it could be uh, boundaries around your calendar, right? You know, Like if you're finding an inability to stay connected to how you do the work of your purpose on this planet, or you're becoming and evolving into who you know you are meant to be, but you can't get there because you continue to say yes to other people's agenda, well, they need some boundaries because your life will be run by their needs if you're not able to actually set some boundaries and and protect the place and space that you ultimately need to grow.
1: I think it definitely is important because the five people you spend the most time around are the five people you end up becoming most like. And I guess that feeds into it. And if you're surrounding yourself by people who don't have maybe the same values or the same visions, and maybe they're going to pop your bubble with the ones that you do have, naturally you are going to start to either believe the same things that they do, Or and question what you're thinking and it could, I suppose, hold you back in that way.
0: Yeah, for sure. And there's also the analogy of crabs in a bucket. I don't know if you've heard this, but if you put a bunch of crabs in a bucket and one crab starts to make its way out of the bucket, what do the other crabs in the bucket do? They end up pulling that crab back down into the bucket. And so that is also true. If you are surrounded, you're surrounding yourself with people who maybe aren't as inclined for personal development or growth that may be threatened a little bit by your emerging into your new self rather than supporting and celebrating your leave in the bucket that they might still be living in, but you'll find that they're pulling you back down. So you just have to be careful and conscientious of the motives and intentions of people who are around you. If they are celebrating and advocating and yeah, still being an accountability source, fantastic. But If you can see that some of your growth is triggering for them because of the way it might make them uncomfortable or more aware of some of the areas where they have not themselves yet grown, be careful. Some of their actions may come out of self-interest and not necessarily your interest
1: yeah absolutely I um well that does bring my questions to a close so I just want to say thank you so much for your time today I'm sure it's been so helpful for many I know I've definitely made notes and I will not be snoozing my alarm anymore that's for sure (laughs) you know one of those things where the shoe fits I'm sat there like oh my god I have like 10 alarms (laughs) and I'm snooze snooze snoozing every morning um but that will definitely be changing so yes thank you so much for your time and been a wonderful guest
0: oh thank you for having me I really appreciate it and I want to encourage everyone leave the safe harbor go out there into the choppy waters push beyond that jetty that's going to be uncomfortable but it's also where you're going to find fulfillment because of the opportunity to grow so thank you for having me today Gemma I really appreciate it
1: thank you so much goodbye
0: Rise Together is hosted by me, Dave Hollis. This show is produced by Chelsea Harfouche and edited by Andrew Weller with production support by Sterling Coates. Cameron Berkman is our executive producer. Rise Together is a product of the Hollis Company.